Uh, we are going to uh, look at the Christmas story and use that to talk about miracles this morning. And uh, we read the Christmas story. And uh, in the Christmas story, there are a lot of miracles taking place. Um, um, there's an angel that appears to Mary. There is uh, the Virgin Mary becomes pregnant. I mean, that's quite a miracle. Uh, John talks about the word that God becomes flesh and he makes a dw his dwelling among us. Uh, there's a miracle of an angel appearing to Joseph, and uh, we see many angels appear to the shepherds. Uh, there's this strange, miraculous star that directs the wise men to uh, the place where Jesus was born, or later on, sorry, in, in the house that they're staying at. Uh, the Magi also receive a dream of warning. Joseph receives a dream of, dream of warming, uh, warning. Uh, Joseph receives a dream of direction. And so uh, the Christmas story is filled with the miraculous uh, filled with occurrences that don't happen uh, every single day. And uh, so we're going to use this to talk about miracles this morning because uh, at least I think it's important to talk about miracles from uh, time to time, and we tend to talk about them here at this church because sometimes, you know, we can get really maybe discouraged with life. Uh, we can, you know, we, we see pain and suffering around us. Some of us maybe just struggle to get through each day, and um, in, in the midst of the, this difficult life, sometimes we can start not thinking about the miraculous. We begin to pray small and just think small and to, and to just try, to, I'm just going to try to get through today, and uh, this idea of, you know, God doing the impossible sometimes becomes a smaller part of our world, but uh, part of li living in the kingdom is this reality that miracles do happen. Uh, God can do the impossible. In fact, this is what the angel actually says to Mary. Uh, the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. And of course, you understand, like, there are some things God can't do, like God can't sin, can't, God can't do anything against his character, but he's, he's talking about things within his nature. There's nothing that is impossible with God. And part of living our life is this reality that that God at times steps in and works miracles. God at, time, at times does things that, that are absolutely impossible. And, uh, and I want to begin by showing one of my favorite Christmas miracle stories. And uh, it's about a five or so minute video. Left hand closed into a fist she was 
in time just as she was left, leaving her body in an awkward and painful position. Her son Jason saw how hard life had become for his mother. It was difficult to see her just doing daily things. You can see the pain in her face, you know, and it's hard to see somebody go through that, you know, much less a, a family member. Through the years, Emma maintained a positive attitude despite her painful situation. No matter how rough her life was physically, she's always had just a bright smile on her face and always been so warm and so encouraging. And the other thing that I've never seen waver is her faith. I kept pressing forward each and every day, knowing that Jesus was going to give me that strength, that he was going to be there for me. And he never let me down. He was there for me. Blood clots formed in her legs, which posed life-threatening issues. Doctors wanted to amputate both of her legs, but Emma refused. I never gave up. I kept praying and thanking God for my healing because I had that much faith in my Jesus to know that someday he was going to give me that healing. The night before Christmas Eve 2011, Emma fell out of her wheelchair. For eight hours, she lay on the floor in excruciating pain, crying out to Jesus for help. Emma says that Jesus came into her room and reached out to touch her. And what I saw was the most awesome white robe. I knew who that was. Our human eyes, we can't even hardly look at it. It's so bright white. I couldn't see it, but I could feel that left foot going from this position to this position. Jesus was straightening out that crooked foot. I knew my neck was being straightened, my spine was being straightened. That left hand that had been clenched fist for over 18 years. Jesus started to take those fingers and open them up. And I could take that hand and I could flex it and use my fingers. Jesus was now kneeling on one knee right beside me and he extended his hand out to me asking for mine and then we stood up together and even though the bones were sounding and cracking like crazy he still had a hold in my hands then i knew i had to start walking and use his feet and legs and i did just a few hours later, Emma's two sons and her grandchildren came over to celebrate Christmas Eve, unaware of the miracle their mother just experienced. And I could see down the hallway a little bit, and here she comes walking. And it's like, no way. I hadn't seen mom out of a wheelchair, I think since my wedding in 1993. At that moment, everything I knew was different because, you know, she's supposed to be in the chair, but she's walking. And it was just a, surreal moment seeing her walk it's like it's a miracle there's there's nothing else it could be we kind of got through hugging my two sons i went over and grabbed those two grandsons and i gave them a big hug for the first time in all those years 
That night, Emma and her family were in awe of God's love and power as they celebrated her Christmas miracle. Emma says that being able to stand and walk on her own has changed her life forever. Although she still has RSD symptoms, she and her family believe that God is in control. Today with her son, Jason, Emma joyfully shares her story of how Jesus heard her prayers and forever changed her life on Christmas Eve. You know, this is such a story of hope. This, this miracle is not just for my mom, not just for our family, but it's for everybody. Whatever difficulties people may be facing, there's always hope. Jesus has never let me down. He's always been there for me. In his word, he says that he will never leave us or forsake us. And I knew that, and I trust his word. I'm no longer the crooked lady with a broken body in the wheelchair. I'm known as the lady with a Christmas miracle. Cool story, a miracle, and there's many out there. Now, when we hear a story like that, probably there are uh, sort of three common reactions that we can have to a, a story like that. Uh, for many, hopefully, it's a story of hope and encouragement um, to see what God can do and uh, Him reaching out. Uh, sometimes stories like this can be hope and encouragement when you are struggling with, with issues and you need a miracle, and it's a reminder that God really can do miracles, and it gives you hope that God may do a miracle in your own life. Uh, sometimes hearing a, a story of a miracle, um, if you're struggling with this, the same kind of thing and someone else, you hear of them being healed or something like that, it gives, it gives that person faith to, to really step out and believe what, what God can do. And so it can give hope and encouragement. Uh, for others, hearing a miracle like that kind of brings about a skepticism. And this is just normal and natural because we're born in the West here. We tend to be skeptical about anything sort of supernatural. Uh, other cultures aren't that way. Uh, other cultures are quite opposite compared to what we are. But we tend to be fairly skeptical about, about miracles in, in, in this country. And sometimes even, even though I'm a pastor and someone comes up to me and tells me about a miracle, there's something to me that sometimes, first of all, is always a little bit skeptical because you know, it's just part of being uh, raised in this, this Western rational world that we are in. Uh, but if we at all believe in a God behind this universe, in, in the complexity of DNA and the complexity of life, if we at all believe there's a God behind this universe, then, you know, making a virgin pregnant or healing a, a disease or a miracle is, is far smaller than the complexity of this universe and the God behind this universe. And so sometimes people will respond with skepticism until they actually see a miracle themselves or them, they themselves are actually experiencing a miracle. And, and there have been lots of stories of atheists and skeptics who have been you know, uh, skeptic, skeptical of anything to do with faith and, and then all of a sudden God steps in and does a miracle and all of a sudden you know, they're, they're fully going the other direction. Uh, for others, the response can be anger or, and even discouragement. Um, maybe you see a story like that and, and, and inside of you is like, well, you know, God, why'd you do it for that person and not for me? Maybe you 
hear of another story of someone who is, again, maybe struggling with the exact same thing you are, and they, they respond with a, with a miracle, and, you know, God healed me, or God did this, and God stepped in financially, or God rescued me from this, and then you're struggling with the same stuff, and you're like, well, what about me? And so sometimes hearing about a miracle can actually cause anger and, and discouragement in people. Um, and, and, and often that is, is kind of anger against God or blame against God. Uh, but the reality is uh, sometimes we end up blaming God for something that's not actually Him. I mean, the reality is we live in a very complex world, and um, God is not the only factor in whether things happen or don't happen in our life. I mean, John 10 talks about at least these two kingdoms, and we could throw in the kingdom of our own free will, if you will. But Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so Jesus here right away gives us kind of two categories. And so if we see things that are, have to do with stealing and killing and destruction and, and you know, everything anti-fruit of the Spirit, we can pretty easily put that in the category of the evil spirits and the enemy and this fallen world. And, and when things are full of life and life to the full, those things go into the God category. And, and sometimes when it comes to stealing and killing and destroying, we end up blaming God when re the reality is actually another kingdom at work. I mean, there are a lot of factors in this complex world of, of why things happen and don't happen, even in the Christmas story. There's miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in the Christmas story. And if you remember when Michael read, all of a sudden there is this incredibly horrible event when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi and he says he was furious and he gave order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years uh, old and younger. This is the Christmas story. There's, there's miracles and then there's ugliness and evil. And this is the reality of our world. There are times when we will see miracles and we see something incredible happen and there are times when there is destruction and evil and, and, and horribleness. Uh, but to blame God, we need to be careful about that. Uh, because we can just pick a topic, say, uh, like healing, since we saw a healing miracle. Again, some people, when they don't have healing, can get angry and bitter against God. But the reality is, when you read the Gospels, uh, God clearly has a heart to heal people. And so when someone's not healed, then maybe we got to ask, maybe there's something else going on. I mean, Jesus who came to this earth, uh, one of his purposes was to reveal the heart of God. Everything Jesus did, everything he said, every action he made was revealing who God truly is. And so we look at how Jesus interacts, for instance, with people who are, are sick and diseased. For instance, in nine, Matthew 9, it says Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And it says, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And, and you could just see Jesus walking around and he has compassion on the sick and the hurting and, and, and see that Jesus would turn to those who were sick and healing and, uh, and he would heal them. In Matthew 12, a, a large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. Matthew 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Or Matthew 15, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and he laid them at his feet, and, and he healed them. 
Or Matthew 4, Jesus went through Galilee healing every disease and sickness among the people. I mean, um, I don't know how anybody could read the Gospels and say anything other than God clearly has a large heart for healing people. I mean, not once do we see Jesus ever, you know, see someone coming up to Jesus and Jesus say, actually, I don't want to heal you and I'd rather you just be sick. And not, not once do you ever see someone come up to Jesus and Jesus saying, actually, my will for you is to be diseased and here you go, here it is. You never see that. The only thing you see in Jesus is him healing people and touching people and blessing people and bringing life to people. And so we got to know that this is God's heart. And so when that miracle doesn't come through, yeah, maybe it has to do with God's timing because God's will is a factor in things. But when you look at the Bible, I mean, we've done a whole series on this. There are at least nine different variables of why a miracle might happen or not happen. And so when we are discouraged because it's not happening, uh, we got to be careful we don't somehow twist God's character into something he is not. In fact, Romans 12 says, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, and there are times when we've got to be patient in our affliction and faithful in prayer. And Philippians 4 says that we are to fix our thought on what is true, and, and we know who God is. We know His character. We know He loves us. We know our, we are His dearly loved children, and we, we fix our thoughts on what is unseen and, and what we know about God, not on necessarily the, the, we don't saturate ourselves with our present circumstance. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so there are times when we pray and, and miracles don't happen. And, and I think most of us would be honest that most of the time we pray, we don't see a miracle. But there are times when miracles do happen. And we have people in this room who have had amazing miracles happen to them. I mean, Chris is right there. I mean, He's a walking miracle. A few years ago, the hospice people showed up with a bed for him because it was supposed to be end, and he's still doing well. I mean, God has done healing in his life, and I know there's many others in this room who God is working miracles, and, and God has, uh, works miracles all over the world. Uh, Craig Keener, and I think I've, I've um, mentioned this uh, before, uh, Craig Keener is actually one of the most well-known and uh, well-respected scholars of today. And uh, he's like uber, uber smart. In fact, his commentary on Book of Acts is like four volumes. I think it's like 5,000 pages long, his, just his commentary on the Book of Acts. But he did this big definitive work not long ago on miracles, and it's two volumes. It's uh, 1,100 pages long on the credibility of New Testament miracles and in the idea of the miraculous. And... Um, and I just want to read a book, book review. I read this exact same thing, I think, in the spring when we talked about miracles. Well, I want to read it again because I, I just find it encouraging. And this is by Sam Storms, who is a pastor theologian. He says, Dr. Craig Keener, whose PhD is from Duke University, is one of the most highly regarded evangelical New Testament scholars in the world. He's professor at New Testament of New Testament as, at Asbury Theological Seminary. He has written what is widely regarded as the definitive treatment of miracles. It is two volumes, totaling 1,172 pages. He spends the first 250 pages or so defending the reliability of the miracle accounts in the, in the Bible and responds at length to the philosophical and theological arguments that some have used to deny the possibility of the miraculous. But by far, in... 
uh, away, the largest portion of these two volumes is devoted to recording and describing miracles of every sort from all around the world during the present church age with special attention given to the last 150 years or so. He cites documented miracles of healing and deliverance in the Philippines and Thailand, Vietnam and Singapore and Malaysia and Myanmar in Cambodia. Dozens and dozens of documented examples from reliable sources are listed. He has several hundred examples from churches in India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, Indonesia, South Korea and the Solomon Islands, Samoa, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, New Zealand and China. The remarkable growth of the church in China is due in large part to the reality of the supernatural as people are confronted with what they simply can't deny, that there is a supernatural God who answers the prayers of his people. The cases he cites involve healings of every imaginable sort, cancerous tumors, congenital blindness, deafness, paralysis, heart disease, kidney disease, tuberculosis, and diabetes, just to mention a few. On top of this, Keener reports several documented cases of people being raised from the dead. He proceeds to devote several chapters and a couple hundred pages to miracle after miracle after miracle in Africa, throughout Latin America, and in the Caribbean. He focuses specifically on the work of Reinhard Bonnke in Nigeria and Heidi Baker in Mozambique, as well as in the Republic of Congo. The accounts he records from virtually every country uh, in South America are stunning, especially in Ecuador and Chile. He also describes dozens of miracles in Cuba. At this point in the book, he turns his attention to miracles throughout the entire course of Christian history, beginning in the area immediately following the age of the apostles. People have argued that when the apostles died, miracles ceased, simply have not looked at the evidence. Keener has, and he describes them in great detail. He chronicles miracle throughout the Middle Ages, uh, miracles throughout the Middle Ages, and even into the time of the Reformation. He describes countless miracles in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries among a wide variety of Protestant traditions. And his, his examples are from virtually every Protestant denomination, Baptist, Presbyterian, Nazarene, Methodist, Pentecostal, as well as from virtually every th theological tradition. He devotes several hundred pages to documenting a wide variety of healing miracles throughout the 20th and 21st centuries. In one 10-page sequence, he documents with great detail no fewer than 95 stunning miracles of a wide variety and brings it to a conclusion by saying, such accounts represent only a very small sample of the claims. He turns his attention to healings of blindness and documents more than 350 instances. He also focuses on a, on a variety of types of paralysis that were healed and several dozen instances of resurrections from the dead. And that's only volume one and goes on into to volume two. Uh, but we see, I mean, there are tremendous reports of, of miracles. Uh, Edmund Tang uh, says, according to some surveys, 90% of new believers cite healing as a reason for their conversion. This is in China. This is especially true in the countryside where medical facilities are often inadequate or non-existent. And one of the reasons Christianity has spread so quickly in China is because of miracles. Um, missionaries, native missionaries would go into these villages and they would first ask for all the sick people to come forward and they would pray for healing and many of them would be healed and all of a sudden 
they're like, what is going on? And we want to hear about this. And they would share the gospel. And this, this village would, would, would begin to follow Jesus. And then they'd go on to the next village and do the same thing. Uh, tremendous healings in, in, in China. Um, Dr. Julie Ma, Oxford Center for Mission Studies, says this. A Baptist church in India grew from six members to more than 600 in just over a year because of healings. In Ethiopia, more than 80% of believers surveyed in a Lutheran church, by the way, contributed their conversions to healings or exorcisms. In Brazil, many poor people lack adequate health care, and they're attracted to Christianity when they see healings. 86% of Brazilian Pentecostals said they have had an experience of divine healing. In Argentina, healing is by far the primary tool for evangelism and church growth. Because a miracle, it's one way that kind of, all of a sudden, it, it opens you up to the reality of God. And we see that this is what Jesus did. You know, most of the time, Jesus would perform a miracle, and then he would kind of explain what happened, or he'd bring, teach about himself, that Jesus used miracles to awaken people to the reality of God. And, and this is one of the ways that we as Christians can awaken people to the reality of God, is that we can pray for them and pray for miracles. And, and when those happen, all of a sudden, well, the, sometimes they're knocked out of their skepticism into belief. Not always, but, but at, times, at times they are. Now, some people will say, uh, like skeptics, will say, well, it seems that most of these miracles kind of happen in, in poor countries or around people who are uneducated. And here in the West, we have better explanations for these miracles. And um, that's why you tend to see them more in other countries. And it's true that you do tend to see them more in uh, non-Western countries. But this idea that if you're intellectual and smart, somehow you can discount miracles, uh, it's just really not the reality. In fact, a survey of 1,100 uh, 1, physicians in the States said that a majority of doctors, 55%, said they have had events happen in their practice that they can only explain as a miracle. And doctors tend to be kind of smart, um, not uneducated and uh, not poor. And, and, and yet 55% of doctors in the West uh, say that they've seen miracles in their practice that can't be explained by, by science. Um, Dr. Candy Guthrie-Brown she is a professor at Indiana University. She's got a PhD from Harvard. And uh, she was doing some research for a medical journal. And part of this research was this idea of what is, how does this, um, like prayer, does it, does it make a difference in people's health? And, and is there such thing as people being healed by prayer? She heard about um, a lot of healings in Mozambique, uh, primarily through Heidi Baker and Iris Ministries. She took a group of PhD scientists with her to uh, Africa to study whether prayer works or not. And again, this is not an uneducated person. She took a group of PhD scientists with medical equipment to test people before they received prayer and after they received prayer. And she calls it PIP, which is uh, intercessory prayer. But I just want to show you a clip from one of her, one of her, uh, one of her medical talks here. I worked with medical researchers to conduct a study of the therapeutic effects of proximal intercessory prayer on auditory and visual impairments in rural Mozambique. And we can here come to the next slide. We used a portable audiometer and vision charts uh, and evaluated 24 consecutive Mozambican subjects 
uh, who were prospectively recruited, so we tested everyone who came forward saying that they had these problems. And even with a relatively small sample size, we found large enough effects in individual subjects and consistent enough effects across the study population uh, that we were able to determine statistical significance. For hearing, as we go to the next slide, uh, we can find that there were highly significant improvements post-PIP, which is proximal intercessory prayer. Two subjects had their hearing thresholds uh, reduced by over 50 decibels. And to give you a sense of how dramatic that is, if you're standing right next to a motorcycle, that's 100 decibels. Whereas if you're in a quiet environment and you've got good hearing, then that would be zero decibels. So these are very, this is a very large change in hearing threshold. You can see in the slide on your left uh, the individual changes uh, for uh, particular subjects in hearing. And then the slide on the right shows you uh, that it wasn't simply the case that it was um, quieter after we did the test than before, and that's why people had better hearing. Actually, the ambient noise stayed about the same. That's the tiny little bar on the far right, whereas the changes in hearing uh, were, were quite considerable. We also found significant effects for vision. Uh, there were significant improvements post-PIP. Three subjects went from 2,400 or worse, and that's reading the top line of a vision chart, that big E that you usually see, uh, to being able to read uh, the 2080 line of an eye chart, which is relatively small print. One subject went from being able to, um, unable to count fingers from one foot away, or even see that there was a hand, uh, to being able to read the 2125 line of a vision chart, which is also relatively small print. And that was after about a, a minute of prayer from Heidi Baker in that case. We also compared the results of our study with uh, results found in studies of hypnosis and suggestion on vision and hearing. Uh, and uh, found that PIP resulted in greater average, which is the slide on the left, and greater maximum improvements in visual uh, and, and auditory acuity. And the comparison is especially relative, uh, relevant because you would expect similar possible confounds to be at play with hypnosis and with PIP and things like the well-known placebo effect. Uh, and yet we found that there were much larger improvements for PIP than there were for even hypnosis. Uh, we also did a replication study in Brazil and also found significant effects. Yeah, one of the cases she uh, talks about is a, a gal um, by the name of Martini, and I think she was mentioning that. that she, because um, what they did is they would test people with their medical equipment, and then they would go for prayer, uh, sometimes between a minute or up to you know half an hour, and then they'd come back and test them right away. But one of these gals. Um, could not even hear if you yelled in her ear. She uh, got prayer, came back, and she could hear a normal conversation. And uh, this is coming re research from a PhD scientist, and, and, and here, here's what she said in the end. Our studies show something is going on with Pentecostal and charismatic intercessory prayer. This is not just wishful thinking. It is not fakery or fraud. It is not some televangelist trying to get widows to send in their money. It's not a highly charged atmosphere that plays on people's emotions. Something is going on, and it surely warrants our attention, <laughs> she says as a result of these. Because, because prayer works, and God, God does miracles, and, and he releases, releases miracles on, on, on people. I just want to end with one more story, and that's the story of Barbara Snyder, because um, you know, some cases are really, really well documented. And this is one of those cases that is really well documented. In fact, two of her doctors ended up writing books 
about what happened to her. Uh, Barbara Snyder um, had a very, very severe MS. And um, it's so severe that one of her doctors who had performed over 25,000 operations said of her that, that Barbara was the most hopelessly ill patient he had ever seen. And uh, she couldn't see anymore. Her hands were curled. Her feet were curled. They sent her home to basically die in her bed. And, um, and at one point, um, some, one of her friends phoned into uh, Chicago Mo- Mo- Moody Bible Radio, and a prayer went out, and people started praying for her. And uh, it just, she's going to tell her story. It's not that long. Um, and she's, she's doing an interview with, with, uh, with Lee Strobel. She talks about what, what happened. June 7th, 1981. I'll never forget it. It was a day like any other day for me. That was one spent confined to bed, unable to breathe on my own, hooked up to machines, a tracheostomy tube in my neck, my arms curled up, my legs curled up. I lay there trapped inside my own body is really how it felt. I had two friends over. They came over all the time. They were from my church. My church family never forgot me. So while they were there, I still remember exactly what they were reading when all of a sudden um, I heard a booming, authoritative, loud voice over my shoulder over here say, my child, get up and walk. And there was nobody else in the room. And there was no one else in the room, and the door was over here. There were windows over this way. And instantly I knew it was God. But instantly I also knew that my friends didn't hear that, Hmm. which is kind of interesting too. and I needed to share with them what I heard. Well, I had this tracheostomy tube in my neck, that's how I breathed, and I had hands that did not work. So my friends said whenever I looked agitated, they knew I wanted to talk. So they'd come and plug the hole in my neck. And I said, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but God just told me to get up and walk. And my friends got really quiet. <laughs> I know, but he really did tell me to get up and walk. Run. Get my family. I want them to be here. And um, my friends all of a sudden jumped up. And while they jumped, so did I. I was so excited, I couldn't wait for anyone. And I literally jumped out of the bed. This, this is where you'd almost have to have known me to see how totally impossible that was. So this time, I remember reaching up and pulling my oxygen off my neck. I remember that. And then I jumped toward the voice. My friends are over here, but I jumped towards the voice. And as I jumped up, the first thing I remember isn't what I would think I would remember, but I jumped out of the bed, and I looked, and I saw my feet. They were flat on the ground, just like everyone else's, which sounds normal, but not for me. I had foot drops so badly I couldn't even wear slippers on my feet. They were so curled. So when I jumped up to have feet flat, I was amazed and stood staring at my feet, And when I did that, I jumped like this, and then I saw my hands. And they were open, and they never opened. And so now they were open, and I stood staring at them, and then it dawned on me I could see me. That's what I would have thought I would have noticed first, was my vision. But I didn't. It was back. You could see it. It was back. I was perfectly fine. And I stood staring again for a little while, just feeling what it felt like to look at and see me. And then I turned, and that's when we were like women. We all started jumping up and down, screaming and thanking the Lord. I remember I didn't understand anything, except for once I was real sick, I was well again. And it has to be God. That's all I knew.
So pray. Uh, pray for people. Uh, get prayer if you need it, um, because you never know when that, that healing is going to happen. Uh, don't be afraid um, when you're just out in the community to, you know, if you know someone who's, you know, there's something wrong, just to say, hey, can I just pray for you real quick? Just do a quick prayer. You don't have to make it crazy. Just do a quick prayer. And, um, you know, if a miracle doesn't happen, I mean, uh, try not to get discouraged and don't think, oh, you know, God's going to look bad now. I mean, uh, just the reality is we, we don't always see miracles, but at times we do. Uh, and so get prayer. And if you are here, we have a super duper awesome prayer team. And do, do, starting during our last song and after church, they'll be over there. And if you need healing in your body or there's a, an area of your life where you need a miracle, uh, go for prayer because you never know. This, this could be the Sunday. Um, Sometimes we need to pray persistently, that Jesus, even being Jesus, had to pray for someone twice before they were, they were healed. But, um, but hey, science proves it. I mean, there are like hundreds of millions of people alive today who, who experienced miracles from God. Uh, God really is in the business of, of connecting with us and, and doing stuff in our lives. And so uh, I hope you're encouraged today. And if you're discouraged in any way, just go for prayer and we'll see what happens. So uh, we're going to end with that. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up. We're going to close. And um, yeah, again, the worship, uh, prayer team will be over there. If you need prayer, uh, please uh, go for prayer. So Father, we thank you that you are a miracle-working God. And God, we don't always understand why miracles aren't released at times. Life is complicated. This world is messy and broken. But we, God, know that sometimes... We see miracles, and sometimes they're released, and God, sometimes they are incredible. And so, Father, we pray that your presence would be strong on this room right now. God, that your presence would meet us powerfully. God, I pray you give a special anointing on the prayer team today. God, that you would release your healing power through them upon people who come for prayer. God, I pray for anyone in this room who's in need of a miracle, God, that you would release that upon us today. In Jesus' name.